0: For full accident management support, including motor replacement, repairs, and personal injury compensation claims, just search G4 Claims today. Hi, and welcome to this week's episode of the DW Podcast. My guest this week is joined, uh, joined me all the way from the US of A, and I'm with Carol Baskin. How are you doing, Carol? Hey, all you cool cats and kittens in Scotland. Have you ever been to Scotland?
1: I have not, but I love the accent and I watch all of the shows that are filmed in Scotland.
0: (laughs) Amazing! I always think it's funny when we speak to Americans because I think they've got this really romantic vision of Scotland and Ireland and the, the reality is it's probably somewhere in the middle.
1: Yeah, I think probably when people think of Florida, they think of Disney World and it, it's not all Disney
0: World here. That's exactly it. We're thinking Mickey Mouse, aren't we, and, and Universal Studios. Whereabouts are you then? Are you in Tampa? Tampa, which is about an
1: hour away from Disney and all of the Mickey Mouse.
0: Do you, do you ever go along or is that just a, a tourist trap and you stay clear?
1: I went when it first opened when I was in grade school and pretty much decided then I didn't have any desire to go back because I'm I'm uh, kind of agoraphobic I don't like being out in big places surrounded
0: by a whole bunch of people quite right you know just to take it back to the start then Carol you said you know you're in Florida at the moment am I right in saying that you were born in Texas
1: I was born at the Lackland Air Force Base in Texas but we only lived there until I was about three and then we moved back to Florida and then uh, probably by the time I was in third grade my father moved to or took all of us to West Virginia because he was the pilot for Governor Archmore there
0: oh amazing that's fantastic I'd imagine, Carol, that, you know, most most people watching or listening to this podcast will have heard of yourself and they'll have heard the Big Cat Rescue as well. When did you get a love for cats and, and animals and, and conservation?
1: Just a few years ago, People Magazine had asked me for some photos of myself. And so I went to my mom and I asked her for the old scrapbooks, you know, the kind where you stick the pictures in. And I was and it had like the cellophane that you pull open. And so I was pulling up the cellophane, and I pulled out this picture. It was the very first picture anybody ever took of me. And I was a baby in a cradle with a well, actually, my parents had just lifted me out of the cradle. So my mom's holding me, and my dad's holding the cat from the cradle. And on the back, it said that the t- the cat's name was Tiger. And I thought, well, isn't that funny that I, I did not remember that all these years, but I've loved cats from the time I was born, and probably because they were in my cradle.
0: I remember reading online something along the lines of, you know, when you were nine years old, you, you started developing a love for animals and for cats, and and you wanted to be at first a, a veterinary nurse, or, uh, and then you realized, you know, that's maybe a bit cruel, or there's certain things that I'd be doing with these animals, it's just not for me at all.
1: Yeah, I didn't think I could put up with people not treating their pets right, that I would
0: just not have the temperament to be able to deal with that in a professional manner. I suppose that's been a recurring theme throughout your life as well, is not it?
1: Yeah, I, I really don't tolerate people being mean to to cats,
0: especially, but any kind of animal. Let's talk a bit about Big Cat Rescue then, when, when it started, you know, how it came about. What Give us a background story from, from your point of view.
1: I left home at the age of 15, and I did spend a lot of time in veterinary clinics. And as a result, I ran into a situation where a bobcat had been hit by a car. A bobcat's about a 20-pound cat. It's native here to the United States. It'd be about the size of your Irish, um, so Scottish,
0: Scottish, Come on. Scottish cat.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. This Scottish, not Irish. <laughs> I'll
0: wait you I'll wait you
1: <laughs> and the vets can fix them up if they break a leg or something in 30 minutes to an hour, but then it's months of rehab. And so I started taking the cats home, rehabbing them, and then releasing them back to the wild. And then in my 30s, after I started building a real estate business, my husband and I, Don Lewis at the time, were at an auction buying some llamas. And the guy next to me started bidding on a bobcat, a six-month-old bobcat. And I leaned over and I said, when that cat grows up, she's going to tear your face off. And he said, I'm a taxidermist. I'm just going to club her in the head in the parking lot and make a den decoration out of her. So I started crying and Dawn started bidding and we came home with her. But she had been born in captivity, which meant she it wasn't legal to release her. And she had been declawed, which is cutting off the last knuckle of their paws. So she wouldn't have been able to hunt even if she had been born in the wild. And she was as wretched a pet as I would have imagined. I had never even thought about trying to keep a wild cat. Animal in the house, but she was chasing after my daughter and attacking my husband and attacking our German shepherd. And so Don decided he wanted to find a playmate for her that was tough enough for her. And he found a guy that said he'd sell us a bobcat, but we had to drive up in person from Florida to Minnesota. And when we got there, it turned out to be a fur farm, but there's no sign out front that says fur farm. So we don't know. We walk in, and the conditions in there were so horrific with the feces and the rotting food and animals with wounds that hadn't been treated and the flies in there were so thick we had to put handkerchiefs over our faces to be able to breathe and this guy's pulling out all of these kittens and showing us these kittens and I see in the corner a pile of dead adults where they've just taken this little piece of belly fur and that's the white fur with the black spots that people use on fur coats and that's why it takes 20 bobcats to make a single stole And so I asked the guy if there was this big of a market for bobcats as pets, because there's nothing more fierce on this planet than a bobcat. And he said, oh, no, we're we're a fur farm. We'll just harvest these cats when they get to be a year old for their fur. And so I broke down crying. And my husband said, how much for every cat here? And we came home with 56 bobcats and lynx that day. And then we bought 28 more off the fur farm the next year, all of the adults And then the next year, we bought out another fur farm of 22 of all of their cats with the agreement that they never kill cats again for their fur. And we were working on getting all of the cats out of the Canadian fur farms when I lost my husband in 97. And we never were able to complete that. But thankfully, as of about 2018, the fur industry is finally dead.
0: I'd imagine when you're doing these things, Carol, that there's probably a bit of a backlash as well. You know, there's people out there who wrongly want these animals to be used for fur for coats. You know, was there quite a lot of people fighting back against you? Or was it a case of, you know, you just do what you want. If you've got the place to keep them, then batter in.
1: You know, it came at a really good time. I don't think that I could have done this in the 70s, but in the 90s, there were people from PETA that were throwing paint, red paint on women in Manhattan who were wearing fur coats. (laughs) And it became very unfashionable (laughs) to be wearing a cat fur coat. Or any kind of a fur coat because the public had finally turned against it enough that it it was it was already on a downhill slide and so i think the fur farmers saw the handwriting on the wall and figured this was a good time to get out from under the stock that they had and we did pay top dollar for every cat there to get them out of there but with the agreement they never kill cats again for their fur which they they upheld their end of that agreement thankfully Where I have seen pushback has been in this whole cub petting industry. So as a result of rescuing all of those cats, people started calling me and saying, hey, would you take my tiger? Would you take my lion? And I'm thinking, what are people doing with lions and tigers in their backyards? And so in both of these cases, I thought, That I could fix it. Like, you know, the bobcat thing, I thought, well, okay, I'll just rescue all these cats. I'll put them into pet homes and they'll all live happily ever after. Well, about a year and a half later, they all started coming back. So (laughs) I realized people aren't going to take care of these wild animals for their whole life. They only want them while they're fun. So of course we took everybody back that came back and the situation with the lions and tigers, I thought, surely we can put an end to this. I mean, it, it's, Hurting conservation. It's a horrible experience for the cubs. The mothers end up in these awful, tiny, barren jail cells, just putting out litter after litter after litter until they die from all of the medical conditions that that depletes them of. And I thought if people knew the truth behind this, they would stop paying to pet cubs or to see cubs on display. And I was really wrong about that because I've been trying now for gosh, 25 years, a quarter of a, of a century to get people to actually look beyond the cuteness of the cub to what kind of cruelty is involved there. And it's frustrating that there are so p- many people that are not willing to take responsibility for their actions. I read a Mark Twain quote this morning that I thought was really good. And he said, it's a lot easier to fool someone than to convince them that they've been fooled. And that's been the the real crux of this, especially after Tiger King. So many people were fooled by that narrative and believed that Joe was some kind of iconic folk hero that they should follow, that once they did that, it was very difficult for people to really look at it objectively and go, well, wait a minute, he shot five tigers in the face to make space for other cats. You know, he, he hired people to kill this woman just because she didn't want the animals to be abused they can't look at that because they've already joined in that whole conversation of hating on me for the last two years, that it would make them look foolish if they had a, had an about face. And I realized that in, in Scotland, where you are, it's a very different mindset. And I have so many friends in the UK and Scotland and Ireland, and your part of the world. But here in America, Man, we got some backward thinking people.
0: It's it's funny you say that, because even when you mention, you know, the, the gun laws in, in America and, and you mention people, you know, shooting tigers, Joe exotic to, for one, you know, that just seems so alien to me. And it seems, I imagine many people watching this, it just seems like another world. But it's, it's a very westernized country and we're, we're very similar in many ways as well. I think, uh, Carol, that you you touched on it there, the the Tiger King thing. And without beating about the bush, I think the majority of people that are watching or listening to this will have first came across yourself in 2020, you know, during lockdown over here in the UK when Tiger King first became on the screens. And you touched on it yourself, you know, there was a narrative that was painted there. And I think it was episode three, you know, where these rumours came out about yourself and your your ex-husband, Don, that, that you mentioned. And then there was a barrage of online abuse for yourself. You know, you, you, you'll, have, you'll have seen that. And I just wonder, how do you deal with something like that? You know, the, the whole of the world were watching this one show. Everywhere you went, people were talking about Tiger King, Joe Exotic, that bitch Carol Baskin, as they said, you know. How do you sit at home and process all of this? Because I can't imagine that you ever thought the show would take off the way that it did.
1: Well, I never even thought that it would be the show that it was because we were being told that it was going to be like blackfish and it was going to be exposing all of the animal abuse and that people would see behind the curtain and see these suffering animals and that they would speak up to try and save them before we lose them in the wild. So I was, you know, when I watched it and I binge watched it like everybody, because when the teasers came out. We didn't even know whose show that was. That didn't sound like anything we had been filming. (laughs) And so we sat there and watched it like everybody else did. And at the end of it, my husband and I turned to each other and we just said, well, that was a missed opportunity. And, you know, the, the people who abuse big casts, they've been making up lies about me forever because they can't talk about the issues they can't explain why it is that they're breeding hundreds of cubs and discarding them every year. They can't talk about how this really is harming conservation and how they are the problem. So the only thing they can do is to try and divert attention away. But I never dreamed that people would watch that and come away with that same belief that, that they would believe these animal abusers and the lies that they were telling. And so It was like five minutes after we finished watching Tiger King that my phone started ringing and it rang nonstop for like three months with people just cursing and swearing at me and saying they wanted to kill me and kill my family and kill the cats. And when I could get them to even slow down and listen long enough, I'd say, Why do you want to kill the cats? And they said, Because they don't belong in cages. And I thought, how did you not get that that's why these guys hate me is because I don't think they belong in cages, but they didn't. They came out thinking that big cat rescue is just like all of these horrible places that they saw, because that's what those guys said. And, you know, the filmmakers only showed our little feeding boxes that the cats were in, not their two acre cage. So, you know, as I look back on it, I can see why people were fooled. It's just, I couldn't, I couldn't fathom it. At first. And as far as how you deal with that, I think the worst of it was that I'd leave my phone on 24 seven because the Bobcat gets hit anywhere in the state of Florida and they always get hit at like two o'clock in the morning that I'll take that call and I'll run out in the middle of the night to save that cat. Well, with my phone ringing every five minutes, I couldn't sleep. And so I had to turn my phone off at night, which meant all of those cats ended up suffering and dying because I couldn't be there to answer those calls and nobody else will. So that to me was the most angering part of this uh, reaction that people had or the betrayal that I felt felt by the producers of Tiger King was that the animals were even suffering more as a result of what these people were doing. And they were doing it for no cause. I mean, they could have made just as good a show without making me out into be some kind of villain.
0: And did, did you ever get, have a follow-up conversation with the producers and say, you know, that is not the show that we thought it was going to be?
1: Well, actually they called me because they decided apparently they were going to do a Tiger King too. So they started going around to different people, asking them to sign new release forms. And they called me up and said, oh, we just want to clear the air. (laughs) And I said, lose my number. (laughs) Fool me once, shame on you, but fool me twice, shame on me. So there was no way I was going to participate in a second, second show and that's why we sued them when we saw that they just decided to go ahead and use footage they had already shot or take stuff from my diaries, which I couldn't stop them from doing, but I could stop them. Well, I thought I could stop them from using the stuff they shot the first five years because we didn't sign any kind of a release for them to do that.
0: Did you ever find that or feel that your life was in danger? You know, you, you says that your phone was going nonstop, you know, and, and this is a global story here and and people are You know, there's rumors circulating all over the place. Your phone's going nonstop. I would be worried about myself and also my family and and the people around me. I'd imagine you had this similar experience.
1: I did. And, you know, some of the things I didn't even know about, like with um, it came out in the trial, I think, and it came out in Tiger King that Joe's husband, John Finley, said that Joe was talking about dropping grenades from a helicopter onto the sanctuary. And a lot of people drove drones over the sanctuary after Tiger King. I think they were probably just curiosity seekers because we were closed to the public. We had actually closed five days before Tiger King because of COVID and we're still closed. But I was so concerned that one of those drones would be carrying a grenade that would drop down on our cats or our people out there working. And to see the level of depravity that are that these people who abuse these cats um, I, I've gotten myself down a sentence I can't quite say, but there is a level of depravity in the type of people who exploit these cats that I didn't even realize was as bad as it was until I saw that firsthand. And just a couple of days ago, I had a person contact me on, on Instagram saying that Jeff Lowe had somebody following me and that I should be watching out. And so, you know, these kinds of threats are, are just constant And I have to keep working. I have to keep going out in public, but I have to hire bodyguards and I have to be, you know, constantly looking in every direction. And when people come up, most everybody that I've met in person has been amazing and so sweet. And all they want to do is get a selfie. But when people start running at me, I don't know why they're running at me. I don't know if it's going to be a good thing or a bad thing. I got run off the road on my bike. By a big black SUV with black tinted windows and all these big guys got out of it, a bunch of thug looking guys. They all come running for me. And I thought, oh my God, I'm being kidnapped. And all they wanted were selfies, but they scared the living daylights out of me and
0: almost ran me over,
1: getting me off
0: the road. It may be a silly question, Carol, because I'd imagine it's it's night and day, but how has your life changed since this came on television? Other than, you know, the the obvious, you know, there's being a hitman hired for yourself you're you're worrying about your safety i'd imagine you know sleeping at nights a bit of a concern but you touched on you know people asking for selfies how's your day-to-day life changed
1: yeah the you know, for most people, they only knew about the murder for hire since Tiger King came out. I've known that these people have been trying to kill me for decades because there have been people reporting it to me for decades. So I've lived with that level of fear of knowing that they know the only way to shut me up is to kill me and that they're not afraid to do it. So that part of my life has pretty much stayed constant. And here in Tampa, Florida, everywhere I go for decades, everybody knows who I am because I'm in the news all the time, especially the local news. We would always invite the media in to do Christmas photos with the cats, Not, not like posing, but like our cats tearing up Christmas presents. And they would put that on the evening news. And I might be talking about why we give enrichment to the cats. And so everybody here locally would know me. And I've always had people running up to me in parking lots and running me off, not running my bike off the road, but I've had people like try to guide my truck off the road so that they could tell me how much they love big cat rescue so (laughs) i'm used to that but i didn't realize what a global phenomenon it was until i was all the way on the other side of the country in hollywood for dancing with the stars and people there were doing the same thing and i thought this is different because yeah nobody out here should even know who i am and they did.
0: What made, How did that come about? Dancing with the Stars? That's that's brilliant. I feel that like there's so many people, probably all across uh, all across the globe, and certainly America, that would love to do that. And when the opportunity is presented, how can you say no?
1: Well, I'd never heard of the. Sh- well, I heard the name of the show, but I'd never seen it. And after Tiger King, I felt so betrayed by the producers that I just wasn't talking to any of the media for a while. I was just shell shocked. And my, I kept a spreadsheet thinking, you know, when I recover from this, I'll contact these people. But I kept a spreadsheet, and there was like 400 different media outlets that reached out to me. And I showed it to my daughter, and she said, well, there's only two on here I want you to do. One is Jimmy Fallon, because I love that show, and the other is Dancing with the Stars, because I love that show. So I contacted the Jimmy Fallon people and uh, the Dancing with the Stars people. And the Jimmy Fallon thing turned out to be a prank by a couple of guys from the UK, I think. No
0: way. And really? Yeah.
1: Oh, it was hysterical what they did. They had little clips of Jimmy Fallon. And so they they had it like on a Zoom meeting. So they'd have him ask a question and then they'd cut to me to answer the question. And I could hear him, but I couldn't see him. So I didn't know that oh, it was oh. like all of these different pieces from different shows. So it, it, was, it was such a huge prank. But the great thing was they got like 7 million views. And oh, so they let me talk about the issues.
0: I'll need to check that out. I never knew that was a thing.
1: Oh, it's hilarious. So then I thought this dancing with the stars thing is probably a prank too, because the person who reached out to me, her name was Dina Katz. I was like,
0: no way. <laughs> <laughs> not, it sounds like a prank. <laughs> but it was. And so
1: um, I, I was afraid because of COVID, and I had never danced a step in my life. And I just knew that I was not going to be able to learn how to dance. I don't have any kind of rhythm or anything. And they said that they would give me access to all of the media they could possibly provide and that that would be a lot. And so I agreed to go out there and do it. And I only lasted for three shows because they couldn't teach me how to dance. But they did give me an opportunity to talk to so many members of the press that I wouldn't have been able to talk to otherwise about the issues because I felt like the cats were the ones who really lost out in Tiger King.
0: Who were you competing against on the show? Who who else was dancing against you?
1: Uh, There was Oakley. What was his name? He was a basketball player.
0: Right,
1: okay. And the guy from Catfish. Yep. Uh, And Hake. Okay. Jessica. I forget her name now. I don't remember. I just, I don't follow pop, pop pop culture, so...
0: I I wouldn't (laughs) be able to tell you who they were I can't imagine that uh, you've done much dancing since I've done zero (laughs) (laughs) and and something else I would I'd love to touch on Carol is I love Louis Farouk I think he's a fantastic documentary maker and and obviously he came back and spoke to you after Tiger King as well how was how was that experience
1: spoken to Louis Theroux back in 2011, when he first came over here to do America's Most Dangerous Pets. And I don't think we were actually in that show, but I was so thankful that he exposed the craziness that was going on at these places. And I think when Tiger King came out, well, he said after Tiger King came out, that he kind of rethought about the stuff that he had seen in 2011, and he wanted to dive back into it. And see, you know, what did we miss the first time around? And so I thought he did an excellent follow-up and I can't wait for it to air here. I'm hoping it'll air in the next month or so here in the United States, but obviously you guys have had a chance to see, um, I think it's called Shooting Joe Exotic. And he did such a good job of looking back through all of the footage that he had filmed in 2011 and found where Joe was talking about hiring hitmen back then. And so it's been an ongoing underlying threat for all of these years. And I think it really helped solidify the public's understanding of who Joe Exotic is. And there's been some other shows that have come out since then as well that have either portrayed him more accurately for who he is or the industry for what it is, like The Conservation Game or Hidden Tiger, some of these great films that have come out.
0: That's. I think that's exactly what happened, and and I would like to hope that you know when that is shown in the USA that you know a lot more people do watch it because it, it showed you a different side of Joe Exotic as well. You know, I, I think that it's fair to say that the the Tiger King series it, it really did glamorize Joe and it glamorized his lifestyle. And and that I remember seeing you know over here people painting him as a hero and and people dressing up as him and we're like getting the haircut etc. And this Louis Ferruz. Oh dear, <laughs> not a fan. It might
1: be the worst thing to come out of Tiger King is bringing back the mullet. <laughs> That's
0: funny. Was that? Uh, do you ever have any any correspondence from him? I actually seen in in the media this week that uh, he was reaching out to the the general public to try and raise money to pay you back uh, the the damages that he owes you. Do, you. do you ever hear from him or hear from his associates or or anything along those lines?
1: I think what people would be surprised to know is that I've never spoken to Joe Exotic. Never. For all of him screaming my name and carrying on, there's never been a situation where I've spoken to him in person or even addressed him on social media and said anything nasty to him personally. I always talk about
0: the issues, and so. Um, and you've never once spoke to each other in person or on the phone. Or nothing. No. No. That's Not crazy. once. I never knew that. I've only ever been
1: in the room with him a couple of times once was during a um, deposition when he started using our name and logo for his traveling show to confuse people and make us make people think that we were the ones doing cub Um, I was at the deposition, but I didn't speak to him there. It was all my husband and the attorneys talking to him. And then during the bankruptcy, my husband had had open heart surgery and couldn't attend one of the hearings. And so I had to go, but again, it was my attorney talking. I never spoke to him. And then of course I saw him at the trial, but um, the murder for hire trial, but again, I never spoke to him there either. And that was part of what just blew my mind is that they created this entire series around the idea of there being a feud. You have to have two people to have a fight. And I don't, I just don't fight with people. Like my husband and I have never had a fight. Um, So many people were talking in Tiger King saying that Don Lewis and I were fighting all the time. It's like, no, I don't fight with people because it takes two to fight. And if one of you is not going to fight, then nobody's (laughs) going to have an argument here. We can have a disagreement as far as like not wanting, you know, you want sushi and I want vegetables, but that's, you know, it's not worth fighting over. So um, he, commonly will attack me online and do anything that he can to try and get attention to himself. And I think this most recent thing where he's saying he's trying to raise money to pay me back, nobody's going to raise money to support his campaign or his um, his attorney. But if he says, oh, I'm doing this because I want to make things right and I want to pay Carol back, <laughs> I don't think he has any intention of paying me back. He's got the Tiger King coin out there where, I mean, if you look at how Expensive that thing got, and how much money it should have generated for him. I haven't seen a dime of that, and it's not like he owes me money to begin with. He owes the sanctuary they get rescue money. It's not me personally, but he keeps trying to make it personal by throwing out those
0: jabs. I think uh, I looked at the the target that he'd set at the GoFundMe page, and it was five hundred thousand dollars, and he <laughs> was at like two thousand or something along those lines. So he's he's certainly got a long way to go. Mm-hmm. It, it blows my mind that there's somebody who donated
1: $2,000. I mean, why on earth would anybody support a person like that? I, I just, I don't understand that.
0: You, you mentioned there, Carol, that, you know, that there's not a few, there's such, and it takes two people to tangle, et cetera. When you went to the, the trial, it must have been, you know, it must your emotions must have been all over the place. And 22 years it was that he got sentenced to, if I'm correct. Was there a a satisfaction there? Was there a, you know, this is a relief, it's a weight off my shoulders? Or was it, you know, this is just another step in the road?
1: I was really concerned during the trial because I think one of the things that Joe has been very successful at doing is misleading people. And he had a little band of minions that followed him prior to all of this who really believed that he was going to Change the world into some backward thinking thing that they all agreed with, and so my concern was he only had to fool one juror, just one. If he had fooled one juror, then it would have been a mistrial, and I didn't know if there people there. You know, would they have any idea about this industry or how cruel it was, or would they care? Um, would they care about? my life, I'm not native to that area. I'm a Floridian, so I'm kind of an outsider to them. It, it, I was very concerned as to whether or not they would find him guilty. And I was happy that they did, because I think the world's a safer place with him in a cage. I as far as is quite there any satisfaction in that? In that? It's now having it's in a cage is quite ironic. Yeah. As far as whether or not I'm satisfied with 22 years, it I I just don't think he should ever be out there running around loose again because he's such a danger, in my opinion, not only to the animals, but to all of the people that surrounded him. Not one person in his entire life was willing to come to court and be a, a character witness for him, not even his mother. I didn't know it until after the trial, but his um, niece, Chelsea, told us that his mother started to go to the trial and then she turned around and said, no, she wasn't going to do it. and that tells you everything you need to know about Joe Exotic. If your own mother
0: won't come to your trial and speak up for you, then who knows you better? Am I right in saying that there's going to be a retrial at the end of January, or is that something totally different? If I got that wrong?
1: Uh, he's asked for a retrial. What's happening in January is that he did get the sentence, um, I don't know what they call it, like remanded, which means it goes back to the judge and he has to decide on whether or not how much time he can give him, And so that's coming up on the 28th. But I really hope that he will give the ultimate sentence that he can.
0: Absolutely. Jeez, that must be still hanging over your head as well. Kara, what what have you been doing with yourself recently? What what have you been up to?
1: I'm really excited about, oh gosh, there's so much stuff that I'm involved with, uh, cryptocurrencies and NFTs. And the reason that I'm so involved in that is because I see a world where the only way you can ever see a wild cat is to put on a headset or, you know, it's not as good, but you could do it on your phone, your laptop, your computer, and see live streaming cameras in the wild where these cats live. And if you can imagine a, a place, were you familiar with AfriCam back when that first came out? No, no. Was that It was not-
0: online and look at what's happening in Africa? Almost like virtual reality headsets. Yeah.
1: Well, it was without a headset. You could do it on your computer back then and you still can. And you can do that here at Big Cat Rescue. We have live cameras all over the sanctuary that people can watch, but they're not, they're not immersive. You know, it's not putting you in the middle of the scene. Sure. And I think that's what people are going to really want is like to be in the den with the snow leopard as she's raising her cubs. And every day when you get up in the morning, you put on your headset and you look for the heat map of which camera has the activity on it. And then you take your joystick and you go over to camera number 32 and that's where she's given the cubs a bath, or that's where she's chasing some prey down the mountainside. And you're seeing all of that in real time and learning who these animals really are because Caged wild cats are just a shadow of who they are in the wild. It doesn't teach you anything about conservation to see a cat in a cage. In fact, I think it's the worst thing we can teach our children is that it's okay to cage a wild animal if we think that it amuses us in some way or that we're getting some kind of an education out of it. It's never okay to take away someone else's freedom when they've done nothing wrong. And so I can see a world where that's the only way you can see these cats. We all want to see these cats or other types of animals. And so that would be uh, something that you would pay like a small subscription fee to see that feed coming in every day. And if we use the blockchain and smart contracts as a way of pushing the lion's share of that money coming in back out into those local economies, into the direct wallets of the people who are living in the huts next to the tigers, where they can feed their children without tearing down the forest or burning down the forest to turn it into a plot of um, vegetables. And they have a, a vested interest in protecting those animals and making sure that people are getting the best possible view of these animals living their best lives. Then that's how we save these animals in the wild. And we we better distribute the wealth into the hands of people who live by these animals and who are giving us this amazing service that I think so many people would want to enjoy. And for some people who can't afford a $500 headset, then you still go to your local zoo and you use their headsets and they can create an even more immersive experience. Like, if you're in the den in the Himalayas with this snow leopard mom, they could be blowing freezing cold air on you and, you know, the smells of whatever that smells like there and everything would give you that sense of really being there. That, that's education and entertainment and it's a world that I want to see. So that's where I'm going with all this other stuff is I think those are all building blocks toward doing that
0: that's exciting very exciting yeah are you going to travel much once the the pandemic's over we, we touched on it earlier about how you know you've now became a global name and certainly here in scotland and across the uk i'd imagine there'll be lots of people wanting to talk to you and, and want to see you if, if you, you said at the start of the program that you know you've not been to scotland before is it maybe something that you'd consider
1: it is because I have found the people from Scotland to be so amazing, absolutely amazing. And I would love to see what kind of a culture there is there that has created this amazing um group of people. We you know what is so different there in you know, it's hard for me to understand that unless I see it. So I would love to see that.
0: Have you ever tried this, Carol? This is uh, this is like our national drink. It's iron brew. <laughs> no it sounds like it's a pretty heavy duty yeah I I can't talk about Scotland without talking about Iron Brew it's like a an orange fizzy drink but it's it's got quite a lot of sugar but absolutely brilliant so if you ever come you need to try that (laughs) (laughs) I will put it on my list (laughs) absolutely and uh yeah listen it's just been an absolute pleasure talking to you thank you so much for your time wishing you all the best for the future as well and and thanks very much thank you where can people reach out and, and chat to you if they want to do so Everywhere online, we are
1: Big Cat Rescue.
0: Absolutely. And and maybe if I'm in Florida, I'll pop by and see you as well at some point. If we're open. <laughs> exactly. When do you think you'll get back open? As soon as COVID's gone. You know, the cats can
1: catch and die from COVID. So we have to be especially careful.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Carol, thank you so much for your time. Thanks to everyone who has listened or watched this episode of the DW podcast. If you've enjoyed it, please go back and check some older episodes as well. Thank you.